Welcome to the Circle of Success. I'm your host, Brett Gilland. Today, I've got Mike Lombardi with me. Mike, what's going on, my man? Just living the dream up here in Boston. Living the dream. Raining up there? Uh, it's like a downpour. Yeah, it's like a monsoon uh, today. Yeah. We've been having, uh, it's been like, a, it feels like 115, literally 115. All sports have been canceled. High school, kids sports, everything have been canceled all week. So, which is kind of nice to get a little few nights off, you know, when you got four kids, it's, uh, it's nice <laughs> to come imagine, home and have yeah, dinners as a family. <laughs> yeah. 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 Well, it's, uh, I'm sorry to hear Not that it's raining, out. but, uh, nah, whatever. well, you it's are it's, a, it's uh, yeah. you are a Princeton grad. You are an Olympic coach. You are a fit biomics director of partnerships. You are the co-founder and CEO of Roficient and you got a lot of stuff going on. And what we talked Always. about before this was your wife was on my podcast about three years ago. She's, uh, she's the best. She, she, uh, funny enough, you know, she, we've had two kids in the last three years and, um, you know, I was enjoying the little break of her kicking my ass and workouts. And, uh, yesterday <laughs> it's officially over. The run's done. She's back. She's back. She me. I'm done. It's over. Yeah. It's over for me now. Well, I'm sorry to hear that. And did you guys uh, meet okay. during the Olympics? Is that how you met? No, we actually or? met at Princeton. We met the first okay. day of, at Princeton in the boathouse. We were both rowers. Um, you know, we, we just built a friendship over the first year and then started dating. And then, um, you know, we, we graduated at the same time. She decided to keep rowing on the national team. I started coaching at Princeton, which is where the training center was. And then uh, I started helping out because we were always on the same body of water. So, you know, I, I'd finish up a row. I'd see them coming in. And they say, what do you think? And I just start giving her some feedback on it, <clears throat> helped them through London. And then for the Rio cycle, I was, and ended up being her coach for, um, part two. So wow, that's, uh, yeah, we got married in between, but, uh, yeah. <laughs> that's, so that's she has to started. listen to you when you're talking rowing, right? I mean, you know, different, she has to listen to you on the water, but maybe not at home or what? Uh, no, we're a good team dynamic. You know, I, I think that that's always been, uh, strong suit for us is we have complementary skill sets um and our personalities go well like i sit back i kind of see how i can help a person a team anything um and then you you coach them along and sarah's very receptive to coaching and she likes the feedback um so it's it's a it's a really good match um but yeah, it's things that i kind of learned through coaching i've kind of taken everywhere and kind of applied to whatever that's awesome. So if you can, maybe give us a little bit of the backstory, Mike, on what's made you the man you are today. I'm sure there's people all around you and uh, some and backstory in there, but what's what's helped with that? Sure. I mean, I, I think, I don't know how many people say it's where they're from, but, you know, I'm from Philadelphia area, South Jersey. Um, I think it's like kind of part of the DNA a little bit that, you know, you work hard, you kind of you don't make excuses. It's all about accountability. And I think that, you know, my, my dad was always a really good role model for that. And, and a big, I'd say that the first person I really remember kind of like changing my life in that sort of sense, uh, was my high school rowing coach, Bill Lamb. And, um, you know, he pointed out to me, or he, he made me believe in myself to a level that I didn't think of before. Like I was a talented athlete, you know, varsity basketball, I, I messed around with soccer, which is funny at six, seven and like rowing. I just kind of stumbled into it. Cause somebody said, you should go try this. Cause you're tall. I was decent, but I didn't really 
totally understand like you know I, as my most high school kids don't like what is full exertion what what is going to the max um and i think he really kind of helped me unlock that um so it was the combination of me being a jersey guy going to a, a high school in philly um all those guys knew each other so in the basketball circuit i kind of had like a chip on my shoulder it's like i'm this outside guy and i was not part of their crew and that was fine I was really good at basketball and, but rowing really kind of opened, you know, welcomed me with open arms and, um, coach lamb, you know, he held me accountable. He's like, you know, I remember, I remember this after the 2004, I guess, national championship, I was still in the JV as a sophomore. And, um, he's like, Mike, I, next year, like, I need you to be the team. Like, that was amazing. You won that race for that. You won the championship for those guys. This is an eight man boat. Um, hmm. I stay in front of the team. So now there's all this pressure. Okay, cool. I got to go do this now. <laughs> you know, he's kind of grooming me the next year. And, um, you know, I go play basketball, do that whole thing. The season's over. I show up to practice at the race day and or race practice. And, he, you know, it's like my second day back. I'm touching the war in, you know, four or five months. And he just unloads a little bit of like, you're supposed to make the boat a thousand times better, not worse. And just that the course of that season was like, Hey man, this is no bullshit. Like people are really counting on you and you have to hold yourself accountable. And he really, he hammered home this, what accountability means and holding yourself to a standard. And it doesn't matter what anybody else is doing. Like it's your standard or our standard. And that's, that's what matters. So, um, he completely changed it for me. Um, and then when I got to college, I carried a lot of that stuff with me. And then through rowing at Princeton and then coaching at Princeton, you know, you learn a lot of lessons. And I think, uh, I know you've had lots of coaches on here, but finding your voice is a hard yeah. thing um, as a young coach. And what you can, all you can really do is like you start with who, who are the most recent voices or who are the in, influential voices in my head throughout. And that, that's where it starts. And you're, you're more of a copy of that than yourself. Um, so, um, again, another sort of inflection point for me, I, I took over mid-year coaching, um, at Princeton and I kind of came down on them a little hard one practice just because of attention to detail. And one of the kids from Iowa, he said, Mike, you catch, you catch more bees with honey than vinegar. And I was like, I, I think I got more upset when he said it. Um, but like in, just internally. But from then, it was like completely changed my outlook of like, I need, I, that, I know who I want to be as a coach now. Like, I want to bring these kids along and these young guys and develop them. And it's, it's about the process together. Um, and it's not like, this is it and this is how you do it. Um, and that's what I've kind of taken with me from that point on. And when I completely changed that, then I saw way better success in the rest of that season and then in ensuing seasons. So it, it, um, it, it's a little bit of a shift in mindset um from being so competitive as an athlete um yeah. and then shifting to like this is all about everybody else and knowing you and can't really the, do yeah. anything right you can't control the outcome because you're, you're not in there right you're not in there rowing and, and doing that it's all through other people yeah and and it's still so fresh right like you just did it and it you you're either happy with how your career ended or you're not most yeah. people aren't um you know or i'd be still rowing for the national team or something like that and even still like a lot of times that doesn't end up well, but you know, it, it was, it was, I would get less frustrated with the outcome more about the process. Like, yeah. you know, 
why why isn't this cue working for coaching you know for for you making this technical change or something like that so you know finding more patience and ways to connect in different ways um because everybody's different that that's that's the big thing it's like just because i understand something one way doesn't mean that anybody else understands it the exact same way so you have to reach people where they are and you might have to try 15 different cues to get the same outcome so how have you how have you changed your definition of success over time right and, and i and i asked that question because i know for me when I was 22 years old, starting in wealth management versus now being 45 in wealth management, you know, my definition of success has changed quite a bit over the years. Has yours changed as you've progressed in your life? Yeah, for sure. Um, it used to be very binary. You won or you didn't win. I went faster than I, everybody else yeah. or I didn't. I scored more points or I didn't. Um, that Now I look at it as those results are just the byproduct of the process. Did did we elevate the group like it, it, within a team setting in terms of like business? So um, at Whoop, did we did we elevate the brand? Did this marketing campaign do what it was supposed to do? Did we activate the max that we could? Did we squeeze the most potential out? Um, basically, did we set ourselves up for success? Did, how did we execute against it? What was left on the table and, and what did we maybe overperform on? Um, so I think it's more realistic and full 360 view of success as opposed to binary wins, losses, how much money you're making, like, especially as I'd say in the last two years more so um, with kids, not even the first year of my, my first son's life. Cause it was like peak pandemic and I don't, you know, whatever the world was. Um, so I feel like I was still very stressed about, I don't want to say the wrong things, but, um, at a certain point, it was just like family is first and uh, I, impacting the boys' lives. And like that, that's success to me, being there for them, helping them through all the things they go through, like that's success and being healthy enough, like not going to the gym and being like, I got to win this workout. Cool if I do, but it's really like, I hope I go get a good workout, spend some time with people and come back and I can, I'm healthy, right? You know, as you get older, as I'm yeah. sure you can appreciate like part and of pull a hamstring or, or something. that place in one piece. Yeah. Like, <laughs> right. and, and then blow his shoulder out or something. So yeah, yeah it, it's a completely different shift um, from a mindset perspective. Well, people are going to think I'm a whoop. Uh, like uh, I'm getting paid by whoop or something. I'm not, I wear a whoop have for uh, I guess three or four years now. And I had Kristen Holmes on the show yesterday. She'll be out next week. But um, wh what did you learn when your time there um, as an early adopter and seeing something that's grown like to what it is today. So Kristen um, actually was my first boss. She hired me at Whoop. And okay. we met at Princeton. Um, we coached there and we both had athletes in the London Olympics. So we spent some time <laughs> over there. So it's kind of a, a long-term relationship uh, with Kristen. And she was very influential in my process too. I would say my... Uh, in my professional career, <clears throat> you know, she brought me in and, you know, the, the thing about whoop, um, that, that excited me back then and still does, um, I was doing this stuff on my own for the second Olympic cycle. So I was pulling a lot of data, like on my athletes of how many hours did you sleep? What's your mood? What's your urine color? SpO2 monitors, you know, kind of, you know, I, I call it like fluid periodization of training where it's like, we have an outcome we're trying to achieve. 
But just because we have this sort of training plan written, that doesn't mean we're going to go and execute it if you're like complete toast. And that's more or less kind of like what Whoop also helped you understand is like, do you need to pull back? Do you not? Can you push harder than you didn't even realize it? What are the things that are positively impacting you, negatively impacting you? And I got to do that with Kristen for a year and a half, basically as like performance consultants to teams. And we got to help other teams win national championships, which, which was more fulfilling to me than actually winning them myself. Wow. Um, and like whoop is, is continues to change the game. Like, you know, from that, we kind of, Kristen went off on the thought leadership, um, performance science side, and I started doing strategic partnerships. So, um, I worked closely on, on whoops, major partnerships and, and negotiating them, executing them. And then I got, uh, very into leading, uh, things in the CrossFit space, functional fitness, um, all that kind of stuff. And then third party integrations. So whether that be Hyperize, Equinox, App, whatever. Um, so working close with the product team. So um, the thing that, that I always liked is I'm like a serial entrepreneur, uh, I'd say. Um, that's what they told me in business school, which is uh, <laughs> don't don't work for anybody. Um, you, not that you don't play well with others, but you you thrive much more in small environments where you can really get your hands dirty. Um, and that's what Whoop was when I joined it. I think there were about 35 people when I joined and wow. got to do everything, um, <laughs> which is both stressful, but, but uh, also really amazing. Um, and now Whoop is a huge company and, uh, you know, it, it's, it, it's great. It continues to grow and, and changing lives. So um, that, I don't remember your... what the original question was, but, you know, there we are. Yeah, yeah there, there's, there was a great answer to the question. And, and so what it makes me think about is, you know, I think about like Patrick Mahomes and I'm, you know, I'm a golfer guy. So Roy McIlroy, Justin Thomas, you, you see, you know, Michael Phelps. I mean, you see major, major, major sports stars wearing this stuff. And, but go back, because I, I would apply this whoop thing we're talking about, this bracelet that tells me everything about my life, right? Um, probably don't want to be called bracelet, whatever you want to call it. Um but then apply that to whether it's wealth management, calling that Mr. or Mrs. Big client, or I'm an attorney and I want to get that big lawsuit thing done. Whatever it may be, does how does your mind work when you're calling on the Patrick Mahomes of the world and you're 35 large and you're trying to get deals like that? Not necessarily it has to be him, but like how does that go down and how do you think big enough to think, yeah, man, what I've got is good enough for them? Yeah, that's a good point. Um, I don't. I think maybe everybody's different you know, um, with how they deal with people of that sort of scale. Um, but I feel like having, uh, being fortunate enough to be around athletes like that a lot, um, and having, you know, run-ins with pro athletes and people I grew up with made the NBA or things like that. It, it's kind of like, it, they're just people, um, in reality, like you get them on the phone. Once you kind of get over the fact, you're like, Hey, I'm going to talk to Pat Mahomes or Michael Phelps or whoever, um, you know, you just sit down and it's, it's normal. So it's, you know, <laughs> what does it look like good for them? So in terms of an ambassador or, you know, like a, an investor sort of situation, that's, that's more on the higher level. That's probably above me, but in terms of negotiating longer term deals with let's call them entities or organizations like a PGA, <clears throat> like across it, like an Equinox, you know, you sit, you know, what you want to get out of it. And what's, what I like to think of them as is like truly partnerships, not sponsorships. I think a lot of people uh, mm, confuse the terms. Look at it. Um, people say partnership, but they mean sponsorship, which means you're paying for something and I'm giving you something. And 
I never thought of it that way. And I got to credit, um, you know, Antonio Bertin, former CMO of, of Whoop, who was my boss for a while, uh, of like changing the way I think about that stuff. And, um, you know, it has, everyone has to have skin in the game is how I think about it. And you have to find out what's important to you, what's important to them, and then finding something that um, works great, that gets everybody excited. Otherwise, it's transactional, and it's probably going to fail. Because that's the hardest part about actual partnerships, is getting everybody synced up and excited about what you're doing. Now, if there's no upside to either side, why does anybody care and why are you doing it? Um, so whether that's an individual, whether that's an entity, like a corporation or organization, um, so a lot of times what people would do is they would send over sponsorship packages. And what I would do is break them down and rebuild them and say, no, thank you. But here's how we see it going. And here's the timeline for success. So not just like, here's a deliverable social media post, licensing of logos, blah, 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 blah. Okay, cool. Got it. But like, what are we actually going to do together? What's, what's innovative? How are we going to change the game? Um, and do something in whatever the space is that hasn't been done, that's going to make it better for not just, you know, our brand and your brand, but anybody that participates, um, we want to add something to them. So they see, you know, Whoop and CrossFit did a partnership. What, how does that trickle down to a, you know, multi-million uh, individual community? Like what's, how does yeah. that matter to them, right? Or the PGA, how does that matter to them? How is Whoop going to all of a sudden show up? And you saw it in the, like a fan experience, right? Like there's, there was the whoop live at the Ryder cup, right. Or, you know, these, these yeah, heart rate moments of, of, right. And so it's like, how do you start to build those things that nobody's thinking about into these deals? So it has to be very forward thinking and pushing the bounds. And you have to find a partner that aligns with, you know, how far you're trying to push the boundaries, I guess. Yeah. You know, I loved one of the things I saw after the super bowl, um, which was counterintuitive what people would think when Patrick Mahomes had the football, his resting heart rate was lower than when he was sitting on the sidelines and not having the football, right? Which tells you, he's like, man, I know when I get the ball, I'm in control, right? When I don't yep. have the ball, I'm not in control. And I just thought that was a fascinating stat. When you look at the elite performers on when they're at their best, man, when, when they're in control, what their, their own internal body is doing compared to when they're not in control. I thought it was fascinating. Do you not find that about yourself too? I do. I, I showed this to Kristen yesterday. You know, the new stress thing on the whoop is when I'm doing this or if I'm sitting with a client, like my stress meter is lower than when in a, you know, I guess you could say a more stressful situation, right? I got to be on, I got to ask you these questions. I know people are going to mm -hmm. watch, right? More stressful. But yet when I look at my stress monitor, it's, it's not, it's my stress is lower. I feel like I'm enjoying the moment. I'm doing the things I'm put on earth to do. And that's would be my equivalent of, you know, having the football or not. Yeah, no, I, I, I think that's the case, right? Um, big, big time players want the ball when the game's on the line, right? Right. Yeah. That's when they're I want to make that maybe. putt. Yeah. Um, yeah, you want to make that putt, exactly. I want to make that putt, baby. Kim Bainon Dunes next week. Um, if we can, I'd like to dive in. And I funny, I just got this uh, feedback today, like uh, from somebody that, they want more of the behind the scenes of what people are doing, which I think is great because when I, when I talk about a, a process you go through to be at peak performance, it's like, well, I, I sleep well, I exercise, I drink a lot of water and you know, here's the five same steps, but I, I don't know if you like right. getting in the weeds on this stuff or not, but can we do that? Like, sure. how can you help, help us help our listeners 
be at peak performance and live the things we need to do. Let's be as detailed as we want. Let's kind of go back and forth on that one. Sound good? Yeah, sure. Let's do it. All right. So uh, alarm clock goes off. We're going to start the day. What's Mike Lombardi doing? What's that process like for you? <laughs> Usually I'm woken up by one kid or the other. Um, <laughs> exactly. In between yeah. two and seven. Right? Yeah. <clears throat> so, yeah, normally normally I'm up uh, probably like anywhere from like 530 to 630. Um, what I'll do is uh, I will take care of the three-year-old. Um, my wife will feed the three-month-old. So I'll, I'll get Mav up. So my, my oldest son is Maverick and I bring him downstairs. We make breakfast together, make it, make coffee. He helps me make coffee. It's the same process every morning. He uh, covers his ear when I grind the beans, but then he helps me with it. he always wants to touch the beans, <laughs> like ground up beans after. So we get that. He helps me make whatever his breakfast is for that day. Cause it's, you know, a bit of father son bonding, kind of like warming him up to the day as he's kind of got out of his sleep. Um, and give us some perspective you know, on that. What are you What are you feeding a three year old? I'm assuming you're not putting some Lucky Charms or cinnamon toast crunch in a bowl, or are you? <laughs> no, he, he actually is. You know, nothing against those cereals. If anybody's listening, no, no, he's he. It's tough because he doesn't eat the traditional kid things like on his own. I guess so. We rotate through. He'll do like yogurt with like almond butter and jam and chia seeds in it. That's one version. We'll make them a kind of. Uh, healthy oats so like oatmeal yogurt um with again like chia and uh, a couple other things in it to kind of give it a little bit of fitness um occasionally he'll want like chocolate chip pancakes and i'll make that and that's fine but most of the mornings he's, he's kind of on the yogurt train um and we'll eat something like that um i will also make an oatmeal at the same time because we need to be out the door at 7 45 to get into daycare on time so We'll kind of get all that. I, at some point, I have to also walk our French bulldog. So in between, I'm feeding him. So I have to figure out how to get my toddler to walk the dog with me, uh, which is harder most days than not. Um, get all this stuff. So I'll throw all that stuff in the car because I know I'm going to have to be hands-on to get Mav in the car. We head out the door about 7.45, 7.50. I drop him at daycare. Then I go directly to the gym. Uh, I work out at a CrossFit uh, box. I do my own stuff. I have a pretty good internal clock of or, you know, what I should be doing on any given day based off of kind of like, how did I sleep? Am I kind of jacked up? Is there something I'm excited about doing? I have a couple of people that kind of just follow whatever I do, which is fun. So I've got a little training group that is kind of waiting for me when I roll in around 830. We hit it hard for, you know, about 60 to 75 minutes. I'm out the door back to uh, help out at home and then and really start hammering in the workday. So. I don't usually eat breakfast until after, or like a real breakfast or my first real meal until after uh, the training's done. So we're okay. at 1030 now. Yeah. Yeah. So then you um, eat at 1030-ish, you know, probably healthy meal there. And then how many times a day are you eating? You know, it's what I've realized, and this is actually something from Kristen too. I, I used to play around with this at Whoop um, where I didn't make my food as much because there was like a lot of like healthy, fast casual around. It's like sweet green and probably like Mediterranean bowl type of thing. Like it's really yeah. easy to get healthy enough food, but you weren't like, I don't count my macros or anything. Um, it's just kind of aware of what I'm eating. And I think what I was doing was I was actually having too much protein in the middle of the day and it was making me feel very lethargic. Um, mm. So what I did was I probably halved that protein throughout the middle of the day. So the breakfast can still be high protein, you know, shakes or whatever supplements you want to add in. Um, but you know, when I eat 
too heavy of a protein portion in the middle of the sort of like lunch time of day. Yeah. Um, it was like tanking me. So I do more like heavy veggie, you know, it could be a salad with, with enough of at least a serving of protein. Um, and it's, it's just giving me way more energy for the back half of the day. I usually have a nice coffee at some point, usually like one or two. Um, and I, I don't know, I guess you say, how many meals do I eat? I'm just kind of like always eating again. I'm like a big guy, six, seven, 230 pounds. So <laughs> it's just kind of like consistent. So it's like, I just finished eating and I'm like, all right, well, I want another apple now. And I'm just going to kind of keep doing that. But I don't, we don't keep like crap food in the house, so to speak. So it's like, yeah. it always will have to be like a fruit or a yogurt is like a snack or I mean, perfect bars are basically candy bars, but like healthy. So I might have like a half a perfect bar as like a bite of something and always hydrating. Um, I know people said that, but you know, just got to, like, the, the days I feel best, it's hard. It's, it's really hard. If you don't start early, it's, a, it's basically impossible. I don't know how much Kristen got into this. We used to talk about this all the time, but like there was a period of time where I tried to drink my body weight in ounces of water for like a week. It's basically impossible, but yeah. um it, like my, my HRV skyrocketed. I didn't change one other thing besides water intake. So it was wild. So back to wow. the day. Now we're at, I don't know, work works all throughout this. I'm helping out with the, with the three month old. Usually you have to leave around four 30 to go get Nav from daycare again, go get him, come home. We make dinner together. He has whatever he's going to have. Um, and I make dinner for the whole family, uh, every night. And, then the the masquerade of bedtime begins around six forty five. Bath time, bedtime. It gets easier, brother. I'm telling you, it gets easier. Uh, an hour and fifteen, hour and a half. Uh, oh, it's fine. And then eventually he's down. Then I probably have about ninety minutes. Let's say eight o'clock. I can actually like sit down, or maybe I have to go clean up and get everything ready for tomorrow. So I got to pack his lunch, you know, um, get the house in order, and then you know it's almost time for the dream feed for the the young baby. And, mm -hmm. um, so I've got about 90 minutes to either like throw a Phillies game on or hammer out some more work. If I, if I didn't get something done yet or, you know, try and get ahead on something. Um, but usually I give myself, you know, a solid like 30, 40 minutes to kind of like unwind and like let my brain decompress from all that high activity because we're also body training. And, uh, yeah, I probably get to better around 30 every night, you know, do the nine thirties or everything up like 10 30. Nice. Oh, 1030. Okay. Try to. Nice. Try to. Yeah. Try I to. like it. That's good, man. Are you take, do you take rinse, vitamins? Rinse and repeat. You a vitamin guy? Uh, I take, um, well, I do like collagen. I don't do, well, I guess I do like vitamin C, but I don't, I don't take a multivitamin, but I definitely should as I'm getting older. Um, but yeah, I do like whey protein, collagen, creatine. That's like a, just a go to every day. Got it. Okay. How do you, um, how do you challenge your own thinking? Oh, that's good. Um, what I like to do is I put my thoughts down and then I have to take a day away and then rethink the whole thing. Um, <laughs> and like with fresh eyes, um, or I like to bounce ideas off people. Um, I don't know if it comes through on this podcast, but I'm very stream of consciousness in terms of my, the way my thoughts go. So a lot of times my brain is firing faster than I can even get the words out or put them down. So what will happen is I'm just going like a million miles a minute as this, an idea is populating and I like, I need to slow it all down to try and 
get it across to somebody else. Um, so that's, that's part of it is one, how do I clearly articulate something to another person to even get their feedback? But like, once I do have that, it's getting feedback from people that I trust that I know have different perspectives than me. Um, but know enough about whatever I'm talking about, um, to effectively challenge it or validate what I'm thinking. So, um, I'm not going for somebody that's just going to tell me yes. In fact, I don't want somebody to tell me yes. Like, you know, I wouldn't keep you kind of around if you were just a yes person and that was the relationship. Um, I think that's why Sarah and I are so successful as a partnership because we do challenge each other in, in that sense of <clears throat> different styles of thinking, not one better than the other. Um, it's just situational. Like, oh, that was that was a great thing. I didn't think of that part. Um, and being really open, like not having an ego of like, well, this is what I thought and it can't be improved upon. If that was the case, then I'd be, you know, I don't know, I'd own Twitter or something, but you know, you know, I'd have enough money to at least, but that's uh, that's not, that's not, it's not the case. Are you a journaler, like goal planning, journaling kind of time away? Like I always talk about time in the business and time on the business. I like to go about once a quarter. We'll take our team, go offsite. We plan, we strategize, we think, um, do you like that stuff? Do you do that stuff? What's that, what's that been like in your life? So at, at Whoop, I was a big notebook guy, um, and that was more for like biz dev stuff yeah. or like keeping notes on that kind of stuff. Once I kind of got into building campaigns or partnerships, I could le- keep that on the computer. I would say like one of my superpowers is keep I can keep a, like a ton of information in my head like fully organized, not yeah. helpful for the other people, but for like my tasks, like I can you know check them off. Um, without putting them down. Um, I wouldn't suggest that for most people, but I usually do. What I will do is, um, I do set like, these are mandatories for the day. I always have my like long-term goals up here and somewhere on like, probably on my notes on my computer and my phone, but I will have like these three things mandatory today, get them done as soon as like before noon, they have to be done before noon and then whatever else you're going to do more, but like definitely accomplish these things because i think where i think people get into trouble and myself included if you never let yourself have any smaller wins um it starts to just mount and you it's it's easy to start viewing things as a failure or you're not making progress because it's not as tangible so like it's very important to have these sort of tangible things whether it's like that was a great gym session i you know like clean and jerk something or, you know, like I, I accomplished exactly what I wanted. Okay. That's good. Uh, Cause there's going to be days that it's not that, um, or it's like, I handled this, this, and this um, for my life. Like, you know, we enrolled in preschool and he's got his lunchbox. Like they don't all have to be business related things. They, they are life related to keep me grounded in everything that's going on. Um, and I, I think that that keeps me level and in all of these things. I call it the roommate. I read that in a book once that we all have this roommate that lives with us. It's that, that person, right. That sits on our shoulder and may tell us things. It's, it's our in, internal thoughts, our internal conversations that we have. Are you, are you good at those? Are those mostly positive? If they are negative at all, do you, can you flick that guy off your shoulder? Like what's that look like for you? Yeah. The, the anything negative lasts very little. Um, I love it. I, I, 
I will I say I'm an irrationally confident person sometimes. And I think that anybody <laughs> that's great at anything is. Um, I don't think that there's like a, a non-confident pro athlete or top performer anywhere. It doesn't matter what the business is. You have to be so confident in yourself, even if it doesn't like come up, you don't want to come off as arrogance, but internally you have to be like so confident in your abilities um, yeah. that you are the best and, and you are capable of anything that those negative thoughts will come, but you're like, yeah, okay, but I'm better than that. And I can push through this or yeah. you can understand why that thought comes and you can also talk yourself out of, okay, yeah, this is a thought. This is just a thought. That's not the reality. And I think that that's something I've gotten very good at over time is this is a, this is a fleeting thought and feel it for a second and then move on because this is not who you are. And this is certainly not defining you. I think for me is that, that, uh, you see consuming your thought that it, uh, I've learned to talk to it, you know, talk to that thought, like almost talk trash back to it. You know, I used to deal with anxiety like a lot, you know, and it's like, man, I, okay, I got it. Like I know Sunday, I don't like small airplanes and I know I'm gonna be on a smaller airplane Sunday. I'm going to have some serious anxiety. If I kind of had it through off and on this whole week, but it's, I'll tell it like, look, I know what you're doing. You're trying to make me go there and think all these irrational thoughts, this ain't happening. Right. And it just kind of stop it, man, and go somewhere else. And that's, that's been really helpful for me over the years. Um, and, and continuing on thinking, what, what, is there anything right now that's maybe in the infancy stage for you, but it's consuming your thinking right now, you know, as a leader, as a, as a father, as a husband, I mean, all the things you're doing. What oh Yeah. That? existential dread man that that's the thing that actually and i know i'm sure you can appreciate this um like what if something happens to me um and and i feel like you don't ever really think about that until you have kids um maybe some people do think about it earlier but the reality of something could happen to me and somebody has to take care there has to be a way to take care of these kids um so i think that that's the thing that um, freaks me out the most. Um, mm-hmm. and nothing, nothing else wakes me up in the night other than that of like, what if something happens and have I done everything I can to make sure that my family's okay? Um, that's, that's the overarching thing, which is like, you have very little control over. Um, yep. and you know, I've worked a lot on not, not letting it, have too much control because it is you know do what you can do and then you got to just live um things that right now we're going through a lot of changes like you know we we just moved um, a month ago almost two months ago um we have a new baby so all in the last three months new baby new new house my son's switching schools he's potty training uh you know it's like man can we do more what else can we throw on here um, and it's hard and it's, you know what, our, our three-year-old is like having a little of a tough time and that, that's really hard on us too. Cause yeah. you know, what happens at daycare is not what it's like at home. And it's, you know, it's changes. It, if it's hard, I just literally had this conversation with Sarah downstairs. Um, you know, if you and I are feeling it like this level of sort of like anxiety and yeah. stress, how do you think a three-year-old who has no ability to regulate his emotions or articulate any of this stuff is doing like he's, he's doing better than both of us, I think. Um, so like, (laughs) you know, that's that's the stuff right now. Yeah. It's like, that's, that's the stuff that I takes up my headspace. It's like working is 
fun and they're, they're opportunities. Whereas I can't even say it whoop. Like I, when I had no kids, we, you know, young professional, like everything's great. You can go all in and yeah. like, you don't have to care about anything else. And I, I believe that like having kids has helped me put things in, in place. As you kind of said, it's like, you've got work time and out of work time and, and those sort of thoughts. And, um, it's really been great to kind of have that shift of like, there's work and there's life and work's necessary for life. And hopefully there's some cool things in there, but ultimately like it's the relationships, it's the people and how you treat them and, and the joy you bring to other people too. Yeah. It's, it's funny. So I don't, not that I'm that much older than you, but um, probably am quite a bit older than you, but in, in talking about kids in our lives and mine are 17, 15 and my 15 year old man, I dropped him off at school today for the last time that I'll ever drive him to school. I'm like, oh, really? So, yeah. So, so he's my second one. So my oldest one drives and he's 17, almost 18, almost 16, and then uh, 13 and eight. Um, and, you know, one of the things I did when I, my kids were at your kids' age, and I don't know why, but I, I thought about, like, the things you thought about, too. Like, what if I'm not here? You know, are they going to get anything that I ever taught them? All that stuff. And so I would find myself sometimes literally just holding a phone while I'm driving. I wouldn't look at the phone, right? Got to be safe but do a video and talk to the boys and then send that to like an email thing that we have. Like, you know, they didn't have emails and phones and stuff back then. Right. And so I would make sure there's a place where they could go watch those videos of what you stand for, man. Cause we don't know that I could get hit by the proverbial truck tomorrow. Right. And it's like, yeah, I want them to understand about who they surround themselves with matters. And now, you know, at 17 and 15, they're probably like, Oh God, here he goes again. Right. This, but when they're three and one or three and three months, I mean, they don't know that stuff. They want to hear from dad. So just a thought for people that are listening or for yourself or food for thought. So, um, this has been awesome, man. Um, winning is a choice. You agree with that? Winning is a choice. Yeah. Is it? Hmm. Who said I'm asking. That? I don't know. No, I'm, I'm asking. I'm asking if you think it's a choice or not. I, cause I believe there's a lot of things that are choices. But is winning a choice? And I'm anxious to see where you go with that. I don't, think, I don't think that winning is a choice. I think that um, what you're willing to do to win is a choice. Yeah. Um, let's say you're running hill sprints. Like everybody that's running it hypothetically wants to win. But how deep are you willing to go? How much are you willing to make your muscles burn and ache to win? And if it's not more than everybody else, then you're probably not going to win. Um, so I don't think winning and it's winning is the byproduct of the choices that you were willing to make to win. Yeah, I, I agree with you. I'm glad you said it that way because that's, that's what I think where, you know, take Tom Brady, Patrick Mahomes, we'll just pick on those guys. You know, there's six, seven, eight quarterbacks that come and probably all of them hopefully think they can, but realistically there may be six, seven, eight quarterbacks this year that think they can win the Super Bowl. right? They all think they're going to mm -hmm. go there. But it's not a choice, man. It, it, there's so much stuff that goes into it, and it's preparation. It's how much more are you going to work on your body, your sleep, all the stuff that we've been talking about all day. So I'm glad to hear you say that because I, I agree. I think if we're out there running the hill sprints, everybody wants to win, but it's how much effort are you going to put into it. So we want to focus on the effort, right? It's part of the circuits of success. It's, it's focus effort. on the effort. Yeah, and what did you do leading in? Did you know that those hill sprints were coming? Did you train for that? Like, Or did you just like, hey, I'm good enough to show up because you're – you're probably not it, like it works to a point, but if you really want to take things to the max, you have to, you know, go above and beyond. It's everything that people don't see. 
Um, right. And just for the quarterback thing, Jalen Hurts is the best, and the Eagles will be back <laughs> in the Super Bowl. So I love it. That's great, man. He had a hell of a year last year. He's fun to watch. I like that. Love that guy. Well, um, yeah. where can our listeners find more of Mike Lombardi? Uh, well, if you want lots of uh, dad and training content, you can follow me on Instagram at Lombardi Michael. Um, we, you know, row fishing exists still on the on Instagram. Um, if you're looking for rowing tips um, or any of that sort of training stuff, um, so we we actually worked with Harvard's women rowing team for like the last six years. It's kind of like wow. strength and conditioning, consultant training stuff. So. Um, yeah, it was, that was fun. But yeah, no, you you, you find us around. Sarah, Sarah. I need to really check that follow. one out. Yeah, she yeah, is. Sarah's a good follow um, at Sarah Hendershot, um, where you'll actually you'll get more content from her than you will from me. <sighs> I need to get on that rowing and get some pointers, man. I got a rower about four or five months ago, the Peloton rower, and it's it's a hard ass workout. Yeah. It's, it's not easy. That's, that's the thing. It's, uh, people make it look easy. It's not easy. And no. <laughs> yeah. So hey, you can, you can always hit me up after this for some rowing. All right, man, I will do that. Well, Mike, it's been awesome having you, man. Thanks for joining me on the circuit of success podcast. Thanks for having me.